probably a year, nine months ago, I just took my phone, this little magical device, and turned the camera around and started talking about hemp. Um, and I haven't stopped doing that for almost two years now. Uh, and now I have a large quantity of followers and I have you know, overwhelming amounts of messages every day and I get a lot of views and I've been able to make very consistent organic sales just from LinkedIn. You're listening to episode three of To Be Blunt, the cannabis podcast for marketers. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, and today's episode is with Skylar Liesecker, the CEO of Greens, a socially disruptive clothing company producing hemp apparel based in Phoenix, Arizona. I first connected with Skylar on LinkedIn. I noticed he was creating videos of himself talking about hemp and topics relating to hemp, and he was getting a lot of engagement. So naturally, it piqued my interest, and I knew I had to have him on the show and hear about his story. I hope you enjoy, and if you learned anything from this episode that you can apply to your own cannabis brand or business, be sure to connect with me on social and let's discuss. And now, here's Skylar. It really all began, like, the entrepreneurial journey, we'll call it, began at a young age. I was in a business club in high school called DECA. You may or may not have heard of it, uh, but I accelerated very far into international competition in my first year in that. Um, and I really understood that, hey, I might have a knack or a skill set for some of these things that I've been learning. Uh, so ever since, uh, you know, 16 or 17 years old, I've been involved in business, involved in uh, marketing, and really just been learning how to hone messaging for whatever it was that I was passionate for. And that's went from music, you know, from back in the days when I was in the band performing shows to working in the music industry uh, to eventually moving out here to Phoenix, Arizona. I'm located now to starting a small agency, which we still run and operate to really taking everything that I've learned in business, taking everything that my partners and I learned in our agency and applying it to build the Greens brand. And the reason we really chose hemp is because the subvert of cannabis essentially is that we believe that there will be a much larger impact to be had with industrialized hemp. Basically, look at it like this. Not everybody's going to smoke and not everybody's going to use CBD, but everybody wears clothing. And there's also a lot of pollutive output coming from the fashion industry right now. So what better way to uh, essentially bring a more eco-friendly product into the market that also touches in the cannabis side of things and bring people the proper education by making hemp-based textiles and apparel. So you really see the product that you're selling as a conversation starter for people to look at the totality of the hemp plant and the possibility and opportunity yeah. that it could bring. Totally. So did you have any background in textiles or are you a cannabis consumer yourself or just saw an opportunity? Sure thing. So, I mean, I definitely was recreationally using cannabis at, in my teen years, which really helped boost my experience in my business clubs. You know, I've probably, you know, I don't recommend using it at that age, but for me, it worked. It helped me pitch to investors. It helped me pitch to my school board, no doubt. And it helped me really open myself up and cultivate these skill sets, which I did not have when I was a kid. I was a very shy, reserved kid. So it opened me up to being communicative and uh, building relationships, which really helped me pursue my passions. So I've always liked it, but when I started really researching and wearing hemp-based products four or five years ago, I was like, this is the jam. So let's learn the supply chain. Let's learn the market. Let's start researching it. And ever since we did that, things have fallen into place. You know, I don't have experience in fashion. I never, I don't have a college degree, but you know, we were able to bring in 
people with those experiences. We have a, a very solid advisory board. Uh, we were able to bring in our amazing designer, Alana, who has uh, 22 years of fashion design experience. She's worked with Urban Outfitters, uh, Ralph Lauren, Levi Strauss. So we really have a stacked team to make products that will uh, appeal to people um, and combine with our marketing experience and our advertising experience and to really take that and bring it to the world, led with education of hemp and all the benefits that it has industrially. I love something that you said, and I want to highlight it for anybody who's listening. I think a thing that a good or great marketer or a good business owner does is they hire for their weaknesses perhaps. And so acknowledging, you know, that you don't have to be great at everything, but you do have to have, you know, a solid idea and you can then build a team to help fulfill and bring that idea to market. So I think that that's something to keep in mind as people are listening, they might think they have to do all of it or be everything. And the beauty is there's a lot of people who are great at what they do and you can build a team and have success that way. Exactly. You know, you can build a team in a lot of ways. It's not always, it doesn't always have to be financial. I mean, if you build a company that uh, will grow big, just like we have, you can bring people on equity deals. That's what we've done for a lot of our initial advisors. And, uh, you know, we've got initial investors that are actual advisors in the company as well and um, vice versa. And if you know how to leverage business skill sets and you have some sort of acumen, which luckily we've spent a lot of time understanding paperwork, legalities, acumen, all the boring stuff that you don't want to do. And I don't personally like doing, but it has given us, uh, I would say a foundation to be able to take our skill sets and pursue that because, you know, by nature, I'm a very uh, creative conversationalist. I know messaging, I know marketing, I can't build websites. Um, I can't obviously write paperwork, but I understand it. And I know the importance of those nodes and how to communicate through them. Uh, so you really know what you're doing and you're not just like left blind in the dark in conversations with certain people. So that's all important. Absolutely. I kind of want to get a better view from you on the brand side of greens. You know, where did the name come from? How did you develop it? What did that mission look like? Who's your target consumer? Walk us through some of the brand identity. Sure thing. Uh, the name story is definitely a fun one. When we decided that we wanted to, you know, take this marketing experience and, you know, go into this side of things and go into textiles, uh, I already knew some of the supply chain because I was involved in another hemp brand that we didn't really get a scale. It was my younger years before I had some of these skill sets. So it really wasn't going to go as far as this has already been to. So I knew some of the supply chain. I knew some of the branding. I knew some of my target demographic and I had some of the sauce already ready to go. So when I brought it to my current business partners, we were like, all right, we know some of the stuff. Let's think of branding. Let's think of name. What are we going to do? And we sat and had so many brainstorm sessions for names. Like we, we had this list of names and eventually we were like sitting there and greens just popped out. It popped out of my business partner, Jared's head. Like, what about greens? I'm like, oh, that's sweet. Like greens with a Z, you know, because you can't like greens, you know, you think about handles and stuff because we are taking the marketing approach to like, all right, we got to pick yeah. a brand name to make sure that the handles aren't taken to make sure that domains are ready to be prepared. So we're thinking very far ahead of time. Yes. And greens just happened to be, uh, you know, the name that came out. So we're targeting the greens handle for everything. We are rocking supply right now, but you know, we DBA as greens and that's really the brand and supply will drop up over time as we start to pick up more domains and stuff like that. So that's kind of how the name came about. The logo came about from an actual previous company that my other business partner had. He had a cannabis vaporizer company. Hmm. So we took that 
We took the nodes of all of our experience and made that the logo. We had the green's name and essentially boom. Now we had this little brand and the logo and the name represents everything that we're about, represents sustainability, integrity, ethics, and really building a true business model that can cycle and bring value to the world. Yeah. And I think something to highlight that you said that I always try to highlight when I'm speaking publicly about marketing, just in general, but especially from a cannabis space with so much saturation in the market, everybody's rushing in trying to claim all these domain names. And there are lots of great brand names that are just not available right now because people are sitting on those names. And so I think what really starts to differentiate a brand is not so much the product, especially when you're talking about CBD products themselves, like CBD oil and stuff. I'm sure the textiles is not super saturated right now, but I anticipate it's coming as things (laughs) advance Mm -hmm. with cannabis in general. But it's such a simple practice when you're branding yourself, you want to find something that's relatable to the product that you're selling to some extent, not that it all needs to be cannabis, CBD, greens, whatever the case may be related. Like obviously Nike doesn't necessarily express what Nike is, but being able to keep in mind of, okay, I have this name. Now I have the website. Can I find it on social media and checking all those different platforms to ensure that you are in control because that's really, once you start capturing audiences attention, it allows them better I think accessibility to go connect with your brand on other platforms. So just for people listening, I think that's a really smart point that you brought up and I wanted to highlight that with everybody else. Totally. So what I really was fascinated about, and I think I'm selfish in having you on the show is you've become quite known for your LinkedIn strategy and to kind of paint a picture for people listening. Um, I think cannabis as an industry is so new, so exciting. What people don't realize are all these roadblocks and hurdles that we as business owners face, even though it's more or less, you know, legal at a federal level, there still are certain platforms that don't let us play with them. I saw an article you were quoted in saying, you know, you just don't do advertisements because it's very shied away from in this industry to be successful as a marketing channel play. And so I think for people to realize there are options and not necessarily every option is viable for every type of business in the industry, but LinkedIn is a big one that I don't see getting talked a lot about. I personally started digging into LinkedIn a little bit more. I think that's my, um, One, I'm very big in social media and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And so LinkedIn was kind of one of those like, you know, I haven't really gotten into this platform. I need to be, I need to kind of hack it. So I started getting this hack mentality. And then I came across you with videos that were getting thousands, hundreds of thousands of shares. I read an article you have over, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's 500,000 LinkedIn connections. Uh, Do not have 500,000. That's the goal though. That's the goal. Okay. It's a very significant amount. And I just think for people who are putting on maybe the marketing hat for the first time, they hear the big ones. You got to be on Facebook. You got to be on Twitter. You got to be on Instagram, but LinkedIn is such an underserved play. And so I just really want to, you know, hear from you why LinkedIn and how did you get started with leveraging LinkedIn? Was there a playbook you followed or somebody that you tapped or you just trialed and errored it? Sure thing. Uh, LinkedIn, first off, has definitely been the sauce for growing this brand. Uh, and the reason being is that there's a lot of stipulation on certain channels. Uh, funny enough, though, luckily, we are actually one of the few brands in the world that are allowed to advertise our products online. But 
the the reason being is that like when I said we are really considerate about the future, like with choosing our name and branding, mm-hmm. when we started developing this brand, we are already spending a significant amount of money on Facebook and Instagram. So we already had reps in the company. So we were lucky and selfishly, you know, used that experience mm-hmm. to be like, Hey, we're designing this hemp brand. How can we get around it? Um, and we made some crazy loopholes. So if you go on our website, you go on our social medias, we don't say cannabis. We don't say CBD. We don't say marijuana. We don't say weed. There's no stoner references. There's no leaves. There's no nothing. It doesn't even, it doesn't even exist. The only thing we use is hemp. So that has allowed us to be able to pay mm-hmm. to play. And there is only one other hemp brand that is fully hemp because there's other brands that have some hemp products that are, is able to advertise. So it's us and them that are fully hemp that could advertise because we follow the good laws of the land. I'm not saying I agree with them, but we figured out a way how to leverage our relationships and go forward. So we can advertise, which is beautiful. Uh, LinkedIn came into play though, just because, you know, we were like all interested, like why haven't we been using LinkedIn? You know, I think it could be that thing. And as we started to play with it personally on our personal levels, we saw like, whoa, we could do some damage with it. So about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, I'd say probably a year, nine months ago, I just took my phone, this little magical device and turned the camera around and started talking about hemp. Um, And I haven't stopped doing that for almost two years now. Uh, And now I have a large quantity of followers and I have you know, overwhelming amounts of messages every day and I get a lot of views and I've been able to make very consistent organic sales just from LinkedIn, like setting up phone calls, talking to people, sharing the mission, sale. Uh, You know, I'm not trying to sell people. I'm just educating them. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, um, there are lots of people that are like LinkedIn influencers. There's lots of people like, here's how you go viral. Here's this playbook. Um, I didn't follow any of it. I have one playbook from a guy that I really like. I really don't do everything he does, but I'm interested in seeing what he does. But I didn't learn from anybody. It was practice, trial and error. And the number one thing over everything was just being authentic. Uh, at the start, even it, at the start of this, like there was not that many people talking about industrial hemp. It was everybody's like, I'm a grower. I'm dealing with white label CBD. I'm working in a dispensary. You know, I'm doing this. Um, every investor that I talked to completely stuck in that land too. I'm like, man, this is weird. Like nobody is talking about industrial hemp, not just textiles, but like paper and stuff like that. But as I dug into it and as time came, I'm digging in and time is going through and I started to see more people talking about it. So now a lot of people are on that same wavelength that I was on two years ago, like saying, Oh, industrial hemp definitely has this potential. There's definitely people starting to invest in it now. There's people thinking about it. So it was just being consistent and allowing time to catch up to what we were on. And here we are now. But I think being authentic is the number one key. Like I'm not trying to market anything. I used to post way more about hemp. But now I'm kind of limiting it more because I can only do the same content so many times in a row. Cause I'm at the point where I have to regurgitate. So right. uh, it's experimentation with, you know, sharing my life, sharing the business journey, uh, sharing my thoughts about things and then going back and, combining it but i just think remaining authentic is key and building actual relationships like i don't have an automated messaging system on there i'm not trying to scrape leads i'm not scraping your information i don't email you to try to sell you anything uh i set up calls and talk to people and i try not to even talk about business in those first calls uh this one i want to get to know people and then you know if we can help each other on business then it may manifest through the conversation so i just try to keep things real as possible Everything you said, 
I just want to like gold star and asterisk it and like put exclamation marks around it because I think what I am hoping to blow out of the water with this podcast is the idea that you have to be this really smart marketer who can implement all these plays or that you have to have this certain size team or that you have to achieve this success in a certain time frame. And so I'm curious just to kind of tack on to that. Um, what would you say the time frame was from when you started turning, you know, the camera on you and talking to when you really started noticing the traction? Was it pretty immediately or did it take some months? It took at least six months to really mm-hmm. start getting some. There were some that like were gaining traction. Um, and then there was some inconsistencies in between on my part as well. And just also experimentation, but eventually, you know, after remaining consistent now, uh, and just continuing to put out good content and increasing my skills, like I would say really honing in on copy, like I can't stress this enough. Copy is really, really important. Everybody tries to run around like, Oh, you need to have the best content. You need to have the best camera. You need to have the best backdrop. You need to have the best this all this stuff. I'm like, no, you don't. Have you looked at Patagonia's brand on Facebook? Have you or looked at Nike? Do you see their Instagram feed? Those are photos from people. They're not taking their own branded photos. Half mm-hmm. their content's not even theirs. It's regurgitated content. So like, have you seen Gary V's videos? This dude's doing it on a flip phone. Like you don't need anything else. So I think that's just the part that works is that like people like that. I just grab my phone and I go like this, like Skylar's not editing shit. He's not doing anything else. He's writing copy and he says what he says. And People like it. Um, and I've, you know, I've might've triggered some people on some of my content, but I've also gained many fans. And from there I make lifelong friendships and I make sales. So I'm not in here to be liked or try to be like the best looking person on there. My stuff's not perfect. I just aim to be branded and share the brand. So I'm kind of just, uh, you know, setting myself up as a face of the greens brand and sharing what we're about. And that's my guidelines. Yeah. And I think another aspect to highlight that you're excelling at, which resonates with me as somebody who's built a personal brand, in addition to running a business, you know, they say people are more likely to engage with a human than they are to engage with a brand. And so when you're looking at setting up your profile on LinkedIn, like, yes, you want to have a brand profile that you can point to and have some sort of presence. Again, that goes back to, you know, do you own your name on all these platforms? If people look for you, can they find you? But giving some of that humanity behind the brand, putting your face in it, showing up as the CEO, creating that content really from an organic perspective, I think is what people are resonating with. And it's proving where people are wanting to engage with you and then ultimately make a sale, which I know is not your primary point, but you know, if marketing's whole role in the business is to drive sales, marketing is the tip of the spear, you know, you definitely want to do things that have some sort of return on investment. And so, yeah, just to highlight with other people, not everybody is going to be as comfortable in front of a camera as maybe you are, but what are their skill sets, you know, that they could be thinking about that might allow them to extend further into a certain platform. But yes, exactly. I think LinkedIn is really, really cool from my perspective. You touched on it. And so just to kind of riff on it a little bit, At first I was like, okay, I'm just going to post business stuff every day. And then I realized, okay, well, it's not just, I'm not just a business person, right? So bringing that personal brand into LinkedIn, 
Today I shared a quote. Yesterday I, funny you bring up Gary Vaynerchuk. He's my favorite. I literally listen to him every morning. So he's going to get a lot of plugs in this podcast. Pretty much every episode so far I've given Gary Vee a shout out. Um, but I, I you know, will repost things that he's saying. Sometimes it's a YouTube video that I've recorded. Sometimes it's an article that somebody else wrote. And I think creating different types of content and not just always necessarily maybe doing the same thing or also to use a Gary Vee hack you know what he makes 72 pieces of content out of one video it's like there's just a lot of scrappy opportunities for people to take advantage of with these platforms because yeah you could go follow the person who's like i'm gonna help you get a thousand linkedin leads and convert them at this rate and it's like yes and that might work for some person or some brand yeah. but i think people really need to get comfortable especially i think in cannabis to roll their sleeves up and play around with these platforms because i think there's a lot of value to be had on there so totally. i just thought that was so cool because you really caught my attention and again that's how we first interacted was i just came across the video that you would post. And I was like, this guy knows what he's talking about. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to learn more about your brand. So I noticed you're not really talking about your brand explicitly. Do you do branded videos for your own brand? Does that, does that make sense? I'm kind of weird. I kind of like reverse engineer everything. So like if you go on our brand's LinkedIn page, uh, it's, it's doing pretty good right now. It's continually growing and stuff like that. And I'm really proud of where it's at, you know, and my assistant, Keon, I, I trained him to be pretty much me 2.0. So now he manages all the socials. And now I just manage my social. But my social uh, always points back to greens. I'm not mm -hmm. talking about greens, but let's say this. you I have a video. I don't say anything about greens, but I'm talking about hemp. I'm talking about cannabis or talking about anything. It doesn't matter. Right. 5,000 people see it. Maybe 100 comment. They're like, oh, who's this guy? They go on my profile, I'm like, oh, it's greens. And they go see greens, like, oh, shit, hemp clothing? That's crazy. So for me, 75% uh, of my content uh, is not directed towards greens. It used to be all about greens, all about hemp textiles, all about the benefits. And I've kind of called back on that. I still do it, but I'm more talking about like on, a, on an industry basis yeah. and more just like sharing my life and thoughts on business and where it's going. Because like you said, you know, I'm not just a business owner. I'm a person. And the best people that I see on LinkedIn – they share personal content. Uh, Mark Metry, Shay Robottom, like two of my favorite people I see on there. I love seeing their content. 75% of the content is their personal life. Half of it's just joke videos. Some of it's like serious stories about the things they've learned. Like they speak their mind and they don't give a, a bleep about what people think. They're so honest and authentic that it triggers people, but it also makes the people that like them, like, like them like five times more. So they just grow these absurd followings. And I see that just like that inspired me. So I was like, I'm just going to do that too. Like I've never really went full out and just done this on a platform. But the potential with LinkedIn is that Facebook and Instagram, they're in their dying days. Uh, not, not literally like they're still going to be around for some time, but they're becoming these pay to play platforms. Um, and they're getting heavily censored right now. Uh, a lot of stuff's getting censored. So like, all right, well, those places are kind of going to be washes. So where are people at where you can gather their attention for organic, for free, for just your time at that trade-off? LinkedIn is the best one. So just being there, especially with the cannabis industry, because you're limited to those other areas, it's a place where you need to be at. Like, imagine the search, the things you can go on Facebook and target people for like city, state, age, where they're working at. You can do that organically on LinkedIn. 
So if you want to connect with investors, you want to connect with growers, you want to connect with people doing white label CBD, you want to connect with people working in a greenhouse, uh, you can just go find that. It's simple. So that's just like, there's so many little tools and hacks on there where I, I, there's no reason to not take advantage of it. Are you going in and tagging those people in your posts? Are you leveraging hashtags? I read one article that said that LinkedIn really rewards emojis yeah. in your text. So give, give me some of that, that good, that goodness, good juice over there. Sure. So tags are definitely important. I use three to five average on posts. That's changes. I'm just giving you an average right now. Mm -hmm. um, but I have a couple of tags that I use consistently that are branded to hemp and or the greens brand that are always there. And then I have a couple that are branded consistently to like business ethics and psychology. Cause I'm very, very intrigued with business psychology and marketing, you know, being a marketing guy and understanding how it affects people. Um, I really, really enjoy that. So those are kind of it's my very tags. Fascinating. And, and you can get reshared on there. Like I've had a couple of my tags, my posts that are hashtag business that has 20 million followers hit the top of the, the business hashtag pool. So like that can drive some serious, serious engagement. You can touch a lot of people with that. Don't go absurd with tags. Um, I usually don't go absurd with tagging people. If you notice that one post where I tag like my favorite people I've talked to in cannabis, that's mm -hmm. the first time I've ever tagged people in a post like that. I, I don't recommend doing it. Um, if you want to text people that are like your, and if you have a pod or whatever, which I don't condone either, tag them in the comments and do that. But I'm more of like just putting content out there and maybe every once in a while I might tag a person or two. I might drop their name in the video and then just go back and tag them in the post because I really support what they're doing but I don't do it for engagement reasons. Right. It's just to more like create more of that community, which I think is a fair point to highlight too. I get in a lot of conversations where people are asking me, how do I hack Instagram? How do I get more engagement? How do I grow more followers, more views on my YouTube videos? And what I think rings true, which you're nailing for everybody listening, this is the reality. You're literally creating that content organically. And yep. that engagement organically, like you said, you don't have a, and nothing against brands that are using some of these automated messages or follow-ups or whatever the case may be, but to really grow, I think in a organic way and in a successful organic way, it's just putting in the work. And so it's grinding it out. It's creating this content. Like I think what you've identified of just literally like the amount of people who ask, you know, so I want to start a, a podcast or I want to create a video channel. And they're like, well, what equipment do I need? Do I need a microphone? Do I need a video? How am I going to edit it? It's like, you have a phone. It's not the best camera. It's not the best microphone, but it will get you there. And so don't get so hung up on the technology so much as creating a habit of consistently creating content that you can then push out to all your different channels or whatever channel that you're trying to highlight on. So I'd love to know how many hours, maybe it's changed lately. Maybe it's increased how many hours do you spend on LinkedIn? Daily, weekly. Daily. Is it an everyday thing? It changes. I post, I maintain posting one to two times a day, Monday through Friday. And that, and I usually check up all my messages at least once a day. And I try not to scroll too much. Like a lot of people are, here's another common thing. People are like, you need to like scroll and go engage with all these people's stuff. And I'm like, mm -hmm. well, I don't want to. I'm going to be, I'm kind of selfish. I'm going to be honest here. And I, if I comment or I like your stuff, it's because I really like it. I'm not doing it mm. for shits and gigs and I'm not doing it to grow my engagement. That's not my goal. LinkedIn. I'm growing a community. I'm sharing education. 
I'm not here to be the most liked person, so I probably won't like or comment on your content. But the time that I do spend on there is usually personal conversations. I spend most time in the DMs setting up calls. Uh, I spend, now that I can just make content so quick, I can go outside, shoot a minute, or shoot a minute or two video, write my copy in a minute or two to my hashtags, post it. I can create the content the fastest. And then my messages from that come from the content are what I spend the most time in. So I spend the most time in the relationship. Uh, but I try to limit my use per day, 30 minutes. Sometimes it goes to 45 minutes. Uh, but I have a lot of other tasks on hand being a business owner where I can't just like sit and scroll and respond to everything instantly. Um, it's more of just like, creating consistent content education and then getting to the calls when I can in a realistic time frame that's not absurd. So that's kind of how I roll with it. What is the coolest opportunity that's come from LinkedIn that you can identify? All the podcasts that I go on, honestly, podcasts and interviews usually do a couple of them a week, uh, vice versa, me getting people on my podcast and stuff like that. So that's like the coolest opportunity. You know, I've had investment opportunities come through LinkedIn. Uh, that's magazine features coming through LinkedIn, just meeting really cool people. That's, I think that's the most exciting thing is that when I make a piece of content and somebody comments and they say something, then we get a phone call and there's just resonance there. Just the fact that like something you said uh, can impact somebody's life uh, is beautiful. That's, that's really what I enjoy the most. Yeah, and I think to tie that back into your overall mission for your brand is really to heighten the conversation around industrial hemp, right? Yeah. And so you use social media as this platform to have the conversation. You have the brand, which is ultimately driving your mission forward. How does that maybe manifest offline? You know, I know uh, states like Arizona are, I think what y'all are about to be your recreational centers haven't opened yet. Yeah. So it's about to, to flip to kind of be totally open. Um, I have a lot of friends in Phoenix in the cannabis space. It's really exciting to watch what's mm -hmm. happening in Arizona, but how does that again, translate to maybe some offline stuff? Are you involved in the politics? Are you involved in the lobbying? How does that further tie that message in of more industrial hemp conversations? Sure thing. So I've definitely spent some time with the cannabis community here going through like the HEDA and the MEDA organizations, going to some of their meetups and stuff. Uh, it's a little bit interesting because I obviously I don't touch the plant. I'm in ciliary. Um, and there's a lot of steps until we get the full vertical integration here in the States. So mm -hmm. I'm more of like playing on the education side of things. So a lot of people in the community here, they're working dispensaries or grows or they're heavy medical users. I'm, I'm not any of those things, but I'm an advocate and a supporter of it. So I really like the community that's going on here. I have friends that run some of these organizations, cool people. Uh, I've had some weird things happen though, just from posting on LinkedIn. Like now a lot of people in those organizations, they know me from LinkedIn or I get invited through LinkedIn. My apartment complex, for example, this is weird how many times this happened. I live in a, right in uptown Phoenix and I'll be like walking through with my green shirt and I'll start talking to somebody and I ask them what they do. We're having a conversation. They look at me and ask what I do. I'm like, yeah, I run a hemp clothing brand. They're like, oh, you're Skylar from LinkedIn. So like I've had multiple people in my apartment complex be like, oh, you're Skylar from LinkedIn. I've seen you get the hemp clothing company. So like it's, it reaches out just because the sheer amount of content and a city and people start talking about you and the brand and then you become known. So that's starting to happen, which is a little bit weird, but I'm down for it because we're sharing the mission of hemp. 
That's the coolest. And I think just to highlight for everybody else, not that everybody wants to be in a position where they are front and center for their brand, but to really start to create that continuity between the person, the brand, the mission, because it really is for us too, with our brand and especially being in Texas, Texas is so much farther behind Arizona. It pains me sometimes. I really look forward to the day where we have total medical and recreational access, but being able to be a brand that is helping further along that conversation by being a friendly face in cannabis in a place that maybe had more of a stigma against it is just a really fun opportunity for us because ultimately I just want people in my state to have access to this plant. And so I'm happy to have that conversation with them, whether it's through my brand, through my personal Instagram, whatever the case may be. And so being able to connect those dots, that was really fun when people kind of start to have that aha moment, like, oh, you're the one who's from the thing. And you're like, yes, it's all me. We're all talking about him, talking about cannabis. So I think that's really cool. Are you on any other social media platforms? If you are, is the play the same or different? Do you use the same content on those platforms or are you really focused solely on LinkedIn? I would say that I'm, I'm going to be honest, mainly focused on LinkedIn. I post my my brands so the greens brand is highly active on instagram and highly active on facebook you know so we're using that for the brand uh me personally not as much i'll sometimes reshare it's rare probably like 10 percent of the content that i put out gets reshared to facebook or instagram and that's when i think it's really really fire and it has the opportunity to maybe like change some people's mindsets on things or maybe educate sure. some people because it's not exactly my target demo because I'm more building it on like a professional level, education level. Right. You're talking more about the application of the plant, the history, the legality, the accessibility yeah. of the plant and your consumer on greens is like, I just want a really cool shirt that is maybe more economical for the environment for me to purchase. And Oh cool. Yeah. It's made of hemp. That's fun for me to support. Yeah. yeah. I totally get that. And I think that's a fair thing for people to acknowledge when they're listening to this podcast. I'm really trying to bring a diverse set of experts who touch on like your ancillary. You acknowledge that I have a direct to consumer business. I work with some brands that are wholesale distributor behind the scenes, they don't even have a brand, but they're very successful in how they conduct their business. And so again, I think it's just to highlight for people, there's a lot of different avenues that they could take when it comes to creating a successful brand in the space, but also just being mindful of some of these different platform nuances that people have to go navigate or understand while they're growing their brand. So I'm really curious too, when it comes to other marketing channels that greens is using just to kind of touch on that, because I think this is an interesting subject that I came across that looks like your business is doing y'all are leveraging an affiliate program. Tell me more about that. I've heard of affiliate programs, of course, in other industries, but knowing that cannabis is not quite the same as other industries, are there any hurdles or roadblocks when operating an affiliate program or not really? Uh, I wouldn't say there's any hurdles or roadblocks specifically for our niche. There might be with uh, like CBD and other stuff. Traditional but, CBD, yeah. Yeah, but we haven't faced any roadblocks from it. The biggest roadblock we face is that we just dumped our affiliate program because it was absurdly expensive and highly ineffective. Uh, is one that like Lenovo, and I'm not going to drop the brand, but like really big companies use it uh, and is not built a suite for a small company. So just don't go for, just because it's like, the highest quality, best performing, most revenue driving platform. Don't listen to the marketing. I'm telling you right now, don't do it. Uh, so just find one that's cheap and effective. As long as it pays out your affiliates and you don't get your 
your balls busted for an absurdly large amount of money a month, I think you're good. So I'm changing up our platform right now, kind of being slow about it, but I'm not really in a rush to it because I have other things that are a bit more important internally within the business before I drop a new program. So totally fair. You're like, I'm just going to do LinkedIn forever, work on my personal brand and we'll just make profit from that. It'll be great. <laughs> it's hard. It's, I mean, it's, it's working really, and we're only running organic right now and we're doing pretty good. Uh, so I'm happy with where that's at. Once we get our new product line launched this summer, we'll be doing our, you know, our, our big paid run and dropping our mini documentary, which is going to be what I think really kicks this out of the, kicks us out of the bag is once this documentary is done, then we really have that really high quality, that one really high quality educational piece on all of our platforms, including YouTube and Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, pieces of it on TikTok and stuff, which we're starting to integrate now. Then it'll be really big because those are going to be pay to play multi-million view type pieces of content. But the small stuff right now has allowed us to build the foundation of a brand. And I think that's far more important uh, than going big off the bat. And I can share a personal story on that why I believe that uh, because we totally did that and failed miserably. So when we first started this brand, it was February of 2018. That February, we decided, you know what? Let's do a high times article just with our, when we drop our product and we didn't have, keep in mind, we didn't even start posting yet. We didn't even start. It was like high times to kick off the brand. We were like, we're going to sell out. We're going to get big. You know, Tom Chong's going to be wearing our jazz. It's like that. Cause we're in high times. We just had this big old ego, you know, and, uh, launched the high times article. No offense to high times. Cause I love it. It's, it's a clout machine. It works. We made like three sales from high times. So like, don't go spending a couple thousand dollars on a PR release before you have your foundation set because you will crash and burn. It might luckily work for some people sometimes, but don't, don't rely on those big money prey opportunities when you're not set in stone. It's like going to the gym and wishing for a six pack in the first month, but you've only been going there one day. It's just not possible. It's not how this reality works. Um, so I would say always get your foundations and your social status right and your branding right and get your consumer demographic right before you go and drop a bunch of money on that. Um, so learn that lesson from us. Don't do it yourself. Uh, it's just not worth it because we thought we were going to be more cannabis oriented than we actually were. You know, we thought we were going to be young and rough, 23 to 34 year old, 23 to 34 year olds, mainly men, maybe some women that be buying our products. No, I've had more 40 plus year old women buy our products than anybody else. So it's just not what it seems sometimes. That's a great story. And I want to kind of highlight for people listening and to share a little bit about our brand too. We launched, my sister and I are the owners. We are female. We're also in our, you know, late twenties to early thirties and thought, Oh, we're going to create a CBD brand for other millennials who are trying to, you know, recover from their athletic activities and they need better rest because they work really high stressful jobs. And that's great. And that audience still exists for us. Um, but when we launched, we ended up being online first and then had an opportunity to get into retail secondary, got into retail. My consumer base is easily 55 plus in my retail store. And if I would have just kept marketing where I thought I was supposed to be marketing based on what I wanted to do, I would have neglected this whole other audience. And not that that's the magic 
pie or piece for anybody out there listening, but it's just kind of being open to how you roll your brand out. And I think that you touched on a point too, that people often assume they have to have money up front to invest and to get this big bang. And if you have money and you want to blow it, you can try it. It might not work for you and probably won't. But if you actually build your brand, create some vision and you're consistent with content and you play around. So maybe for you, you did LinkedIn at first and it wasn't super successful. You were on Facebook, you were on YouTube, you came back to LinkedIn. And I think that's the excitement that I really wanted to tap into with this conversation is there's not a right thing anybody should be doing. It's just, are you smart enough and uh, do you have enough humility to pivot and reposition yourself, whether it's trying a new platform, whether it's maybe trying an ad somewhere and it not working and you have to restructure how you were going to market your brand in the beginning or in the next yep. step. So it's just um, really cool to hear you've kind of confessed to, hey, I did it this way because I thought I had to do it this way. And oh, here's the reality. It's me putting in work every day. Yeah, totally. And creating authentic and content. Exactly. I could have, you know, could have saved our company some change and could have just been consistent the whole time. And probably, you know, I probably honestly, at this point, we probably didn't ever need to try running any paid ads until now. If I would have done this reverse and just done this first, we probably would have had, you know, more money saved up. We would have had less problems in certain areas of the growth and just been consistent organically the whole time and put more money into product. Um, so I think that's, that's part of the journey though. You get to live and you get to learn. Uh, it's part of the fun, you know, and I can't say it, enough like just going out and failing like that's okay you have to have that journey it doesn't mean it's the end so it just means it's a new beginning and you gotta go out there and try those things but it's not always what it seems usually the way that you want it to be won't be that way uh so i'm gonna wrap the interview up but i have one final question for you which i'm kind of asking to all my guests working in cannabis cbd or thc it can be a textile brand it can be a consumption brand what is one cannabis brand that you think is just killing it and why i like mine's biased i'm gonna say lowell farms in california one of my friends works there in the marketing size names uh, aj aka timber really cool dude i've known him for like four years uh i just know their product's really good i really like their branding um, they have great product. You know, I got to try out their CBD smokes, beautiful, great taste, uh, really smooth. You know, I have their lanyard straight up still with me to this day. Shout out to them. Um, they got great stuff and I want to do all their clothing and hemp. So working on that angle too. That's a great brand to highlight. Yeah. I yeah. just think there's so much diversity in this industry and a lot of really great players who have come to market in. And they're certainly one of them. I know when I was in LA, I tried to get a reservation at their restaurants this is, of course, months before this coronavirus happened. Um, but it's exciting to see, I think those types of trends as well in the industry push further. I know there's a lot of speculation and regulation that needs to come out around cannabis and food products. Um, but I love seeing a brand like that being a much bigger player with the financial and legal resources, again, to probably highlight for some people, certain brands you're seeing push the boundary because they have 
the backbone to be able to do that, which is then I think helping a lot of us smaller brands be able to play in the space more. Totally. I thank you so much for being on our podcast today. And I would love for you to share with our listeners how they can connect with you, where they can find you and buy your clothing. Sure thing. Well, you can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram at my name. It's just Skylar Lee Soccer. I'm sure you'll put it down here in the somewhere in the post, but I, I keep myself branded that way. Just my name, nothing crazy. Uh, and then if you want to buy some Greens products, you can go to our website, www.greenswithazsupply.com. Uh, and you can follow us there on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you desire, really. What a good conversation about consistency and authenticity. I know most people want the quick wins when it comes to marketing, but hopefully these conversations show you the power of yourself as a brand and how to leverage your authenticity to grow your business and how those are the keys in succeeding in this industry. But that's it for today. New episodes will be released every Monday And if you haven't heard my previous episodes, I hope you'll go back and give those a listen. You can access everything at theshadatarabi.com slash tobeblunt. And a kind reminder to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. I appreciate you all so much. Have a wonderful day. Goodbye.